Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now Lerma with billing in space to his left. Oh, what a turn from Dan Juma, edge of the era. Can he finish Dan Juma? Oh, yes, he can. Individual brilliance again from all-out Dan Juma for the second game in a row here at the Vitality. A majestic turn, a flat with his left foot. And with 10 minutes to go until half-time, Bournemouth have edged in front against Norwich City. 1-0. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Hope you're doing all right. My name's Sam Davis. It's Monday morning. How are we all? AFC Bournemouth entertained Norwich City yesterday. It was a 4pm kickoff and that meant that we weren't watching on Sky. We were all watching on our streams and we're pleased to say it was better than that debacle against Middlesbrough. Hey, just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's left a review on your podcast apps about this pod. Uh, we know who you are and we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, when we're big, famous and successful, we'll make sure that uh, we get a little something your way for your kind words. We honestly do really appreciate it. So coming up in this episode, of course, I'm going to be joined by the one and only Jeff Hayward. We're going to be dissecting yesterday's match against the Canaries. But before that, of course, we feel as though we need to mention Harry Arter. He was a club legend that was an intrinsic part of our rise through the leagues. And I'm joined by Tom Jordan to discuss our number eight, who's now joined Nottingham Forest. As well as that, of course, in the Carabao Cup in the week, we played Manchester City and it wasn't a bad performance, really. We we put in a shift. They went 1-0 up. Sam Surridge then equalised and arguably we could have gone in the lead. But, but for a fairly fortuitous goal, City ended up progressing. And that's why the Norwich match, which was originally scheduled for Friday, ended up on the Sunday, but never mind, eh? It, uh, it was a match that has given Jason Tindall a lot of food for thought, and Tom Jordan discusses with me the best of that match too. But before all that, of course, we do this. So, of course, we played Manchester City and it got me and Tom thinking. Uh, when we played City in the Premier League, I mean, I don't know what the aggregate score was on their part, but I know that we scored five goals. That's the question, guys and girls. Uh, who scored for Bournemouth against Manchester City in the Premier League? You don't have to do it in chronological order, but can you name the goal scorers? There was one that we were thinking, who the hell scored that? And then we thought, oh, of course... Have a guess. The answer will be at the end of the show. Good luck. 
So, the Harry Arter tribute is on the way, but speaking of the citizens, we lost 2-1 in the Carabao Cup and I chatted with Tom Jordan straight after the full-time whistle. Feeling all right after that? Yeah, I think we expected a comfortable win for City, really. And, you know, with the players they still had available, and we could have easily taken to pens in the end. It was really a lot of uh, more positives than negatives on the back of that tonight. Yeah, and Man City, they, they named, yeah, there were a number of academy players. They had players like Riyad Mahrez starting, but their bench was ridiculously strong, I thought. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think that's a massive compliment to us. Um, you see a lot of teams, I saw um, like Liverpool tonight, made similar changes to City, but didn't have Salah and Mane, the big boys on the bench. But City having, you know, Sterling, De Bruyne, you know, some... And yeah, they say academy players, well, Phil Foden, do you know what I mean? And um, Rhea Mahrez, like you say, Carl Walker lead, led the team out, even players like Eric Garcia, Rodri, you know, they had some real quality in there. So um, we rested just as many as they did, in my opinion. So um, yeah, really impressed with our performance. And what do you think of the lineup? Because it was a five-three-two formation, and I think most of it um, was pretty much predicted by many of us, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I think um, it was very similar to the last round against yeah. Palace. Obviously, they switched the keepers, which we expected because Begovic got a start in the league. Um, switched the the wing back from Stacey to Smith, which you know is either, neither or really. That's probably fair. And um, yeah, I was I probably didn't expect Brooks to start just because he he played in the league, mm. um, and obviously with his fitness worries. But yeah, it was kind of as expected. Wasn't sure whether Kelly would or not. Felt a bit for Zamora, but um, I wonder if from the off, Jason probably thought you know like Zamora is going to be playing that right. You know, they have a little bit of experience in there, and obviously Rico's been out probably could mm. do with a minute. So yeah, I understood. And I was quite happy with the team. A number of us were expecting Josh King to start tonight, but he didn't. Uh, maybe he's not ready. Maybe he's being saved for the weekend, or maybe as a couple of people have said, maybe that increases his value, the fact that he's not cup-tied, potentially. That's something that we might have not considered uh, you know, before the game. But um, I think a lot of us were expecting King to start, but he didn't. Uh, Brooks and Surridge. And, uh, you know, as the game went on, I thought those two combined, you know, pretty well. But I thought it was a really good start um, from Bournemouth. It was a little bit shaky, but we manufactured some good chances and we didn't look overawed, did we? No, I, I mean, I always expected which happened, City to have most of the ball and that started as soon as the game went. But I probably didn't expect us to be so much of a threat on the break. And, you know, in them early parts, yeah, they had all the possession. They looked like the team that, that were the better side. But we looked just as much of a threat on the break as they did with the possession. I thought the the way we were organised, it was quite obvious that we were virtually a, a five a lot of yeah, the time. Was, yeah. But everyone was kind of in, doing their roles really well. Um, and it looked like it was a real planned tactic from JT and the boys that we were you know, performing really well. So, yeah, it was impressive. I felt a bit for uh, Diego Rico being thrown back in and having to face Walker and Mares on the right-hand side of the pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, that was being, you know, <laughs> thrown from the frying pan into the fire somewhat. But mm. I thought he coped pretty well. But I've got to say, it was Man City that manufactured the clearer chances at the start of the game. Uh, Travers was on call both times. I think there was a shot from, was it Torres? And then another from Mares, And all from a tight angle. And they're saves that you probably expect him to make but a good confidence booster for our for our keeper that's you know let's face it in his last match he made a bit of a, a bit of an yeah. error yeah he, he didn't do himself any harm tonight um like you say it's saves that he expected to make um but he made them he was still there to make them i thought he 
He looked assured and, you know, you kind of need that as a keeper. He probably would have wanted that before the game. You know, an early chance, a nice, nice easy save, uh, you know, comfortable push out and, you know, just to build that confidence up. And obviously we'll go into the goals that Neville, he was at fault for. And I think in general, it was a, a good night, good night for Travers as long as he's right after that little bump at the end. So even though we've only just watched the match, remind me of the first goal because I, com- I completely forgot it was um, Delap that scored, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Foden played a nice, a nice ball. I, I remember thinking oh, yeah, at the time right. that... I thought, oh, was Surridge fouled there? I think we had we were yeah. making an attack. He lost the ball in the middle of the park, didn't mm. he? And I then... hadn't seen it back, so he might have just been too weak. I remember at the time calling for a foul, but they broke quite well. Um, and like I said, that's probably because we looked so organised and you know we were kind of really restricting them. It kind of took us to be on the offensive for them to break, yeah. which kind of cut us open. And it was Foden with a with a classy ball, and Delap just absolutely rinsed Simpson for pace. Unfortunately, I think. For the majority of the night, um, the back three worked really well. But when Simpson was exposed on that occasion, he just he was a bit flat-footed. And uh, Delap, the young lad, took took the goal really well, to be fair to him. A lot of criticism uh, on Twitter. I've seen a few tweets aimed um, at Simpson for that. And, he, you know, he was fairly flat-footed. But, um, you know, I think the nature of the way Man City play is that, that you know, when they do score, they always do catch you flat-footed because they are just that bit sharper. But one thing I didn't realise about Delap, he's a certain someone's son. Yeah, Rory. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't see him, see him take a throw into tonight, so we obviously haven't got that out of result. But he looked like a good player. I mean, I can't remember, apart from his throw-ins, I can't remember Rory Delap being, being a great player. But he looked, I mean, I didn't realise he was 17. Mm. And to be fair to him, he, he looked looked quite lively and up for it, which you'd expect, I suppose. Mm. But um, yeah, he was quite impressive. But yeah, it was just the pace that got the better of Simpson on that occasion, unfortunately. But we got back into it um, within four or five minutes and it was a, it was a cracking goal from Sam Surridge. And it, and it all started through... Um, Phil Billing winning the ball back or you're being on the ball in the penalty area and then I think maybe you've had Gosling you've had Brooks and Brooks seemed to be on the ball for an, an eternity and he cut right across the pitch I thought he was going to feed in Rico um, on that left hand side I think it was Rico on the left and mm. um, he didn't he then cut back inside and fed Dan Gosling again who played in Sam Surridge and the ball slightly held up for him but what a shot on the turn and into the corner of the net I mean took it really well. cracking goal wasn't I it? mean I've seen like, like I say we've I, thank God he's got a goal and been ruled out. You know, he keeps scoring, he keeps <laughs> yeah. getting ruled out. So I was really chuffed for him. Probably, yeah, before the game, if I probably, you know, expecting a defeat, I'd probably say one of the things I really like to see is Surridge bag a goal because yeah. it would be really good for him because the longer he goes without scoring, and at the end of the day, he's not our main striker in the league. So he's only going to get a few cup games when we eventually go out. Yeah, like yeah. Tonight. So for him to notch a goal in there is really going to boost him massively. And I think that's the thing. I think when he doesn't have too much time to think about it, yeah, he just had a turn to hit He yeah. seems to find them corners. I mean, he obviously done it at youth level and it was a really tidy finish, to be fair to him. And it was not long after that, um, you know, I, I we were starting to think, actually, maybe we can take him to penalties. But Lloyd Kelly went off, um, not too sure of the extent of his injury. And, um, you know, he walked off the pit, so you'd think it wouldn't be too bad. But he seemed to know straight away. And that's when Rico moved inside. And, you know, Zamora, who was lucky not to get named in the starting eleven based on his performance in the last round against Palace, um, came on on the left-hand side. And so Rico was playing part of that three, even though the commentator kept on calling it a four. Um, Lloyd Kelly, um, a worry ahead of Norwich, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big blow. I mean, we only had... You know, kind of a handful of players that played on the weekend and obviously Kelly's one of them and I think because of the lack of numbers we probably have in that area and JT obviously wants to play that three at the back we were forced into having to play a Mepham, Cook or a Kelly obviously Kelly played in the last round and he obviously stuck with that maybe he felt the balance was better because of Kelly on that left side yeah. but that was the I mean if you had spoke to JT beforehand 
obviously he would have said we want to win the game but he would have deep down said as long as we don't get any injuries yeah. so that was a killer um I hope we're just over-worrying because of the fact that Kelly's had his injury problems. I hope it's just a little knock and they've just gone get him off for precaution. I was pleased that he brought on Zamora and not an obvious one like Steve Cook because we just can't afford. True, true. Yeah, um, point. But yeah, to be fair, I felt we, we coped with that. I mean, we're losing a real one of our best players and bringing on a kid, mm. really, and um, with no real experience. And you wouldn't have really known. I thought Rico slotted in really well, and Zamura was excellent. So. Um, Zamura, I've been really impressed by um, his ability to get forward. He's very composed on the ball. It, even in tight spaces, he was playing out and making sure balls get to feet. And, yeah, he got forward a number of times, you know, won a good free kick later on in the second half, which I'm sure will come on to, one that we, we probably should have taken more advantage of than what we did. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know, like on the first half performance, I I was feeling really positive about it. I thought, um, you know, most players were having a good game. There's always the usual criticisms that get aimed at certain players, like Philip Billing looking a bit pedestrian. But, you know, he did all right. I think later on as the game went on, we can maybe say that certain players didn't perform as well as they did. But arguably in that, in that, in that first half of the second 45, we had two golden opportunities both with Sam Surridge I think David Brooks was involved in both of them mm. um, you know first one he, he he sort of played him in and he he had a few sort of city defenders in front of them but he, he just tried to forge a gap and get a shot away but he didn't he got closed down right at the last minute and then he had another chance um, which was a, a sweeping ball I think from the right from Brooks sort of almost played over the top and he had a chance there but it it was so good to see us opening City up in that way. Yeah, it was really impressive. Like I said, we knew that we were going to come under the cost, especially in the second half. Mm. But in games like that, where you know you're going to be under pressure, you've got to have something on the break. You've got to offer something for them to worry about. Otherwise, they have literally not got to worry about defending at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and that was probably what stopped their kind of fullbacks bombing on us. They were wary of Brooks. Brooks was was so creative and he was causing so many problems. And to be fair to, to be fair to Surridge, he probably... You know, he wasn't outstanding tonight, but he got his goal. And yeah, maybe looking back at it, could he have maybe slid someone in with that chance where it got blocked? But I kind of like the fact that um, our striker has got a goal and he's shown confidence. He's head that I'm going to go for it here. Well, and, let's face yeah. it, we need a striker like that, exactly. given the fact that Dominic Sam, uh, Solanke is always looking to pass rather than shoot. Yeah. We do need a striker that can be selfish and, you know, can have a go. The best strikers are selfish. Yeah, uh, definitely. 100%. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I think sometimes Solanke's not that natural striker and hopefully he'll become. Um, a little bit more ruthless, but I did enjoy seeing that in Sam, and he's obviously you know confidence is obviously coursing through his veins, and I'm 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 really pleased at how we were playing as a side, and you know if you ever want a compliment, then just look at the substitutions that City bring on Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Raheem Sterling, yeah. uh, and so when you've got them two on the pitch along with Mares, Phil Foden, Mende, yeah. Walker, um, their new signing Torres. Torres yeah. Um, you know Garcia who you said Scott yeah he played quite a lot in the Premier League Rodri as well Um, academy players well (laughs) not sure about that but either way um, I thought that uh, that was such a huge compliment and ultimately it worked out for Man City didn't it with their yeah it did it did which was probably expected I think Pep would have probably it was a compliment at the start, like I said, to name them on the bench. Um, but he had them there just in case. He'd have been desperately hoping he didn't have to bring them on. Mm. Um, but yeah, the more the game went on, they had to bring them on. That is a massive compliment. And as much as they ended up winning the game, and they certainly gave them that little bit more, because they, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is probably the best player in the league, mm. in the Premier League. And obviously Sterling, his numbers speak for themselves. Mm. But, you know, I still felt we, we dealt with them okay. We were, you know, working hard. There was a few nice little tactical fouls on De Bruyne as soon as he got the ball, you know. But... 
I think, you know, we were tiring, we worked our socks off and they're bringing on quality like that. It was really difficult. But, um, but yeah, I think, like you say, it was just a massive compliment to us. And um, I thought we coped with it well in, in the hole. It was just that, that one chance that they, they managed to dispatch. And that's, that's what it is. Great to be joined by Tom there, and uh, if you uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, well, we retweet him regularly, actually. So uh, yeah, check out our Twitter because there's bound to be a, a retweet or two. But uh, yeah, top man, and uh, he's standing by to talk about Harry Arter because we spoke about him too. Now later in the show, of course, I know you're probably here for the Norwich match dissection with Jeff. Stay tuned, that's only 15 minutes away. But we couldn't let the news of Harry Arter's departure from the club go unmentioned. What a hero he was. And Tom and I discussed our beautiful number eight. And we're here to discuss number eight, Harry Arter, a player that is etched into Bournemouth folklore. He uh, joined Forest on Wednesday and he's played for us once this season and he's been out on loan at other clubs such as Cardiff and Fulham and he's a player that as fans we grew to love really quickly, didn't we? He's a the epitome of a fan's favourite, do you know what I mean? The way he plays... He looks like he, he just cares so much. It matters to him so much. And uh, that's always going to, you know, gonna, the fans are going to love that. But he also had so much quality as well. It was similar to kind of Mark Pugh when he'd go through the leagues with us. And you think, can he cut it at the next level? And then he just would. And then can he cut it yet? And he would. And whatever level we're at, the performance. I remember when we got promoted to the Premier League and he missed the start of the season. And we noticed it straight away. He was so key to us. And but I'd probably say, I mean, he's got to be the best midfielder we've ever had um, in my opinion what a player he was he was uh, how would you describe him as a player he's a tough tackling Mm. centre midfielder yet very composed on the ball heart on his sleeve um, never is afraid to you know duck out of a challenge always goes in 110% and as fans you want to see that now in a previous video uh, yesterday last night we were talking about Philip Billing and the way that sometimes you just want him to show a bit of aggression. And there was a chance where he was through on goal, where he just seemed to be really lackadaisical. And uh, he almost lacked the diligence that Harry Arter would have. And the, uh, you know, he would be wanting to win that ball. He'd be wanting to shield the ball. He'd be wanting to, you know, lay you know, the ball off to Sam Massarage or whatever. But Phil Billing just seemed to be so chilled. But Harry Arter just always went for every ball. 110% and he was the heartbeat of the side wasn't he he was for years and like you say he just he just had that bite about him and in terms of I can't he was everywhere he'd do it do a bit of everything but you could almost you could play him kind of deep in midfield and get him to spray the puck kind of what he did in our last performance where he's a bit deeper getting the ball for centre half sneaking pick a pass mm. you could play him and just be an engine just running around causing nuisance to everyone making good blocks good tackles but he'd also pitch him with some goals. He scored some worldies for us, especially in that championship season. Yeah, he could pop up with a goal all the time. So he had a bit of everything. Um, he really did. And I just, it's it's difficult because obviously, like like we mentioned there, with the kind of family and personal personal issues, which ultimately probably stopped him playing here. He, for me, he would still still be a great part of the squad. Mm. It was inevitable, like you say, he's been out on loan a few times. He hasn't. It's almost felt 
like he's been gone for a while mm. so it's um but obviously now it's just kind of official um it's almost like you've been on a break with your missus mm. for ages and now it's like it's officially over I mean, the divorce <laughs> yeah, papers have come yeah. through but he's he will always be loved by the fans there's not not one fan that doesn't doesn't love Harry Arter and I just hope he you know he, he done well at Cardiff he done well at Fulham but it didn't quite happen for him mm. I really hope that he can go to go to Forest and be a real success and the fans take to him because he deserves it He's, he seems like he's a top bloke off the pitch as well I think as fans we warm to watching players who've got the aggression and the heart and you know gets angry like we do and it was clear that um he got angry when the team were playing crap. He he got angry with his teammates, um, and he would shout at his fellow teammates, and he would you know try to you know sort of drag them into line. And uh, he also had an element of his game where I I put on Twitter earlier last week because I was asked to do a few media soundbites, and I said, "What's the best way to say shithouser without swearing?" and he had that element to his game. So um, Steve Perry said highly competitive, tenacious, single-minded. Stuart said niggly. Um, Mike Brandon said the Irish uh, Gattuso. Um, Jordan said the ball-winning wind-up merchant. Uh, and Derek Beach, he said, just show them the Leave It clip. Um, now, for any Forest fans that aren't particularly schooled on this particular moment, can you can you explain what happened? Because it was in a match against Watford, wasn't it? It was in a match against Watford and... It looked as if he had shouted the words, leave it. They played a ball through. It was Nathaniel Chalaber, I believe, for Watford, who looked like he was just about to pull the trigger, edge of the box, just inside, I think. Arter screamed, and he dummied it, and we broke. <laughs> and they were not happy. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure it come out that they had a code word that just so happened to be the same code word as we use for yeah. leave it, because you're not actually allowed to say leave no, it. No, that's you right, would. yeah. That's so clubs have that apparently clubs have these different code words and Bournemouth and Watford's just happen to be the same oh right that's what I read so we knew that Arta knew that I did not know that and just shouted out this code word and they were absolutely fuming but yeah that... you'd be fuming if you're the opposition but that has got that's Harry Arter all over isn't it? but that sharp thinking isn't it, it you know like in that moment to actually think you know what so it's unsportsman un- un- or smart thinking or whatever you want to call it I know at the time I thought it was very intelligent of age but um, he was that type of player like you say but that's the character of him that he would do anything to win. He just mm. wanted to win. And like you said, that's what, what fans love. There's cer- certain players I look at like Arsenal with like Mesut Ozil. They, don't, they can't warm to him because of yeah, that yeah. kind of pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Everyone warms to people like Harry Arter. But I think you've also, as much as doing all that shit algery, whatever you want to call yeah, it, yeah. you've got a bit of quality. And he always had that. Like I said, he pitched him the goals, great passing. And some of the goals he scored were absolute worldies. And I never really knew. Was he a left-footed player or a right-footed player or what? That's what I remember. I can't remember what game it was. I can't remember if it was a pre-season game. It might have been, you know. And I saw him take a... He was taking corners, which he didn't normally do. So mm. I'm pretty sure it was some sort of pre-season game. Um, and he was on corners. And he took one, left-footed, uh, kind of scrapped around it, went out the other side. And he ran over and took the other one right-footed. And I thought, he actually... And he scored some worldies with both feet. And I think he genuinely might have been both-footed. Because yeah. I've seen him score screamers with both. And he oh. seemed just as comfortable on both, didn't he? I remember um, a few worldies that spring to mind. Obviously, Middlesbrough at home, 3-0. Uh, Watford way in a... Mm. Two all, I think it was, or one, one all, all was yeah, it? Um, a goal at MK Dons from a. Yeah. We had a free kick that was just laid off to him. He took a touch and then smashed it top right. Um, we won three nil in that one away, and there are so. And also in the Premier League, I think he scored Huddersfield, uh, Huddersfield yeah, in our four nil or four one, no four nil, whatever it was. Mm. And I mean, what a player! Um, and he drove forward 
and created chances. He he was a total he battler. But in amongst all this was the most devastating story that happened that most Bournemouth fans weren't really aware of until just before the kickoff of Man United at home and fuck me that was an emotionally charged fixture I've never known anything like it and what basically happened was uh, him and his wife were expecting their first child and she died in the womb and despite that he decided to play you know there's that famous picture which we'll show on screen now of Eddie Howe you know putting his arms around Harry Arter and fucking I mean that was poignant and I didn't notice it at the time but when Junior Stanislas scored that goal from the corner flag he took off his armband he kissed it and he pointed straight to Harry Arter which epitomised the team spirit and you know it also epitomised what a crucial cog and what an important figure he was in that side and you know to go through that I think that was I mean obviously it's a huge moment for him but it's one that he now sadly he sort of associates that with the local area you know with the football club and he's just wanted a clean mental break hasn't he yeah and you can you can totally understand it you know you don't know it's probably a kind of a a family thing for him and his um and his partner and it's probably just something where you know I can't begin to imagine you know kind of what they feel but maybe for them it's uh yeah it's just kind of that you know, fresh start. There's too many like bad memories down here and stuff like that, and you can totally appreciate that. Of course, it comes. To, there's things more important than football at the end of the day. Um, I, I I can't remember totally, but I believe it was like the Thursday that they unfortunately lost a child, and then the game was obviously the Saturday. And um, it shows that I mean, people often say about the kind of discipline because obviously, like we were saying then with with Harry Arter, he was a real battler, and he picked up yellow cards all the time. But for Eddie to Make sure I remember Eddie saying, you know, are you all right to play? And he said, yeah. And for Eddie to trust him, you mm. could easily have a type of player that is a loose cannon out there yeah, after, yeah. after going through that. And let's face but it. trusting him, that yeah. shows what Eddie thinks of the man. You know what I mean? I, I can trust H. And then I, I always remember he was, I mean, not only did he get through the game, he was unbelievable. Yeah. One, he, was, he was brilliant. And then I remember he just went in for a tackle and he looked like he had that kind of red mist and was really angry. And Eddie just took him off. And like I say, that's where the, the photo that you put on screen was very poignant and um, Union come on and but they all played it right you know Harry obviously felt he wanted to play he was brilliant and Eddie knew when to take him off and it was perfect mm. and I mean the fact we won the game as well and all that and like you say Junior's goal and it was all set up toward Harry and it was it was really emotional I remember kind of when you saw the news I thought oh well Harry's not playing today then mm. and you saw him start and you thought wow yeah, this could be really difficult for him but shows the type of character that he is um, you know and what a what a man he is as well as a as well as a bloody good footballer yeah I mean so for all Forest fans watching we you know we've described the type of player that he is and do you think Tom that it's gonna mentally it makes a lot of a difference when you're starting at a club that you are a permanent signing for you're not just a lone player that and you don't know how long you're going to be there you don't know whether it's going to be extended whether you go back to Bournemouth or not um now he's got the certainty of being at Forest for however long his contract is and it is a new start for him his, and his family, isn't it? Yeah, so it makes a hell of a difference, I'm sure. I mean, um, like I say, he's been alone at a couple of clubs. And you, you don't know if he was thinking, oh, is it? but it must always be in the back of your mind. They might not want to keep me. I might get called back. I might I might be told from Bournemouth, who still, you know, only as a footballer, might say, actually, we found a better move for you here and I could get, you know, move somewhere else. So when you've tied it up, I'm kind of relieved for him that he's mm. got that move. And I think it's a really good fit. Um, when we were watching him, you know, not long ago against Palace in his last game, 
I remember thinking, how is there not a queue of clubs for this guy? I mean, yeah, maybe now Premier League's a little bit too far, but he could be a player that really takes a, a good championship club into that, you know, kind of top six. And I think Forrest has got a hell of a player. If he stays fit, um, it could be a really a really good fit for them. He's a, he's a top player, like you say. And he's also going into a club where Lewis Graben is, who obviously, yeah, Graben's been at Bournemouth on more than one occasion. Mm. Um, so, known Harry from playing down the leagues. And I probably feel like they've got a decent friendship there. And that'll mm. be... I remember just listening to little kind of podcasts and chats from a lot of the kind of old school players, just Steve Cooks, Charlie Daniels, um, Harry Arter, that Grab seems to be one that's kind yeah. of still in the in the group in terms of, you know, still conversation. So that's really good for him. I'm pleased that he'll probably be able to go in there, settle in with yeah, with Grabs. And, you know, Grabs is the player that we all, we all still are fond of here. So not only have Nottingham Forest got Hooters <laughs> as their away pub, they've yeah. also got Harry Arter and Lewis Graben. Yeah. So if we can go up with anyone this season, I really hope it's them. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice if we managed to get promoted together? That would, oh, I mean, that would be perfect. The you know, but the nightmare scenario on the other yeah. hand would be us in the playoff final. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but no, like I say, I there put it this way to to Forest fans and to to Harry himself, any to to bigger a uh, bigger compliment than the fact that Bournemouth's Bournemouth fans' second team in the championship will be Nottingham Forest now. Yeah, it just will be because that's how much you know, Harry Arter means to the club and to the fans. And uh, yeah, I really hope he's successful. And as much as I don't think fans will be there, if H was played against us, he'd get a standard ovation. Yeah. He would. Um, simple as that. And I really hope him and uh, Forrest have a good season. Harry Arter, what a top player for us. Best of luck at Nottingham Forest. Right then, yesterday, the visit of the Canaries. Let's get Jeff in. We're the Jeff's with me, how are you? Yes, I'm pretty good, thank you Sam, pretty good. Nice to be sounding upbeat, isn't it, after a match? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, uh, it was nice to get the win against a team who um, are going to be up there challenging, so good to get three points against them. Agreed, and it was a performance which had a very good first half, and then the second half there were echoes of maybe not so good performances like Middlesbrough, but we got the three points. We are flying high in the table on seven points. We're not quite in the promotion spots at the moment, but it was a good result against a side that was always going to be a tough task, wasn't it? It was. Last season, I think um, the nil-nil at home to Norwich was one of those uh, downbeat moments. And uh, yeah, the away game was just one of the worst games of last season. So... Uh, certain people had uh, a lot to prove today, and I thought um, I thought Steve Cook was immense at the back today, and um, yeah, he's he's much better as a defender than as a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, that's that's putting it mildly, isn't it? But what did you think of the starting lineup then when you saw it at three o'clock announced? Were you happy with it? Well, I was a bit surprised. I mean, obviously, we knew that Lloyd Kelly was going to be out with the, the hamstring problem he picked up in midweek. Um, However, touching goes to who JT would give the uh, that left wing back spot to. He opted for Diego Rico, um, and you know there were. I, I guess he didn't have too many options, but Jack Simpson would have been uh, probably in the frame for that spot. Didn't get it, so good to see Rico starting for us. Um, and I thought it was going to be interesting to see how the midfield would shape out because uh, David Brooks was ill. 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, since then, we have heard that he has had symptoms that are in line with coronavirus, therefore couldn't be playing. He's had a test and just awaiting the results. Hopefully, all will be good on that front. And, you know, many people who are listening to this uh, podcast have probably been in similar situations with their workplace, whereby if they have a test, they've got to stay outside of the bubble, outside of their workplace until your test results have come through. So within 48 hours, we should know. Hopefully, that will be later on on the Monday or maybe on Tuesday. But he was out. Junior Stanislas was out. Not really sure Mm. what what his issue is. Of course, Lloyd Kelly with a hamstring was out, but even with the players that were on show and with the a certain player on the bench, I still felt confident when looking at that lineup. Yeah, it was good to see uh, Josh on the bench uh, coming back into, into contention. I thought what was going to be interesting would be how we actually played because the 3-4-3 three, three is obviously... Um, kind of dependent on the two sort of wide players. Last week it was Dan Juma and Brooks. Previous week Dan Juma and Stanislas. So how how he'd set up without there being an obvious wide person on the right hand side. So um, yeah, you know, it, an interesting lineup. And actually, it turned out to be far more fluid than the three four three. And and I thought it looked really good in that first half. I thought it did. And uh, when I looked at the Norwich side, I mean, Daniel Fogg had to make um, a few decisions, one of which was on uh, Cantwell. And he's being lined up by Leeds for a £15 million transfer, rumoured. He wasn't in the lineup, which indicates he might be on his way, uh, protecting him somewhat. And also Buendia, who can pose a big threat for them as well, uh, was also declared unfit. They still have talent. Puki, Hernandez, and many more besides, but not having them in that starting eleven, I thought, you know, the whites of my eyes lit up a little bit. And I thought, hang on, we could take him to the cleaners here. Maybe I was a bit optimistic, but I'll take a one 0 Yeah, and, and they they are a good side, um, even even without Cantwell and and Buendia, You know, Puki is a dangerous striker. Hernandez is is a, is a quality player, so. Um, and, and Krull is a good goalkeeper, as he proved in that first half, and in fact uh, made a couple of decent saves in the, in the second two. So, you know, we knew that they were going to be tough. What I thought was actually better was the way they play. Norwich are a much more uh, a natural footballing side than someone like Borough, and I think that suited us a bit more. You know, the, it was um, playing the ball through midfield rather than bypassing it. Uh, certainly in the first half, they, they sort of changed a bit in the second, but actually it suited us a bit more. It was football played on the ground. And we ourselves played a bit different in terms of what we saw, because with that midfield three of uh, Lerma, Billing and Lewis Cook, we saw Lerma playing a more advanced role. And that's something that we've not really seen for a long time, but I thought he did really well in that first he half. He did really well. And, and do you know what? I thought it was going to be Lewis Cook playing that role, but you actually... Too. It was uh, it was Lerma who was getting forward, and the way we pressed them in that first half was really encouraging. I thought, you know, we won a lot of balls in their half. Um, they they didn't really like that intensity, and that I think was was partly Lerma playing higher up. I think that the the wide men Smith and Stacey were excellent pressing forward as well, and I thought Billing looked pretty decent as well, breaking up play and just you know linking linking play together. Also, shout out to Lewis Cook. That is the Lewis Cook that we won and we've seen before. You know, he was playing some really terrific, incisive 
balls from the, the, the deep line position or sometimes further up in midfield. And, you know, we looked like a team. We were sharp. Uh, we were we were quick with the passing. You know, the one-touch passing was really good. We were really on it, uh, which we weren't last week. So that was really good. And it was a lot more fluid. I mean, you, you, you kind of looked at it and thought at times it, it felt like there was three at the back, three in the midfield, then there was a two, then there was a one, and then there was another one up the top. And it was like, whoa, what is, what is yeah. going on? You know, Where are we getting all these players really from? Uh, and I think they, the central defensive three, I thought, worked quite well together as well. Steve Cook had a had a pretty good game. You know, Chris Mappham uh, looked very good. Sometimes I've said he's fawn-like uh, uh, in the way that he maybe just hasn't been able to prove himself fully, but I really hope he gets a run of games at this because this could do wonders for his confidence. And I thought he did well, but also Rico as well on the left side of that three really did excellent. Yeah, we, we played much better as a defensive unit. And even when the, um, even when Norwich got through, I thought Begovic looked pretty solid uh, as well, you know, coming to claim at corners, which was really good, I think for the back four, and also, just 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 generally, his shot stopping, he seemed much more commanding, and and I think that helped. I mean, it, throughout the game, I don't know about you, but I didn't really feel that Norwich created anything for all the pressure they had in that second half. I agreed, and that's one thing. I was nervous, but when I look at it, we just kept them to having shots outside the box really they had a lot of pressure outside the box but they didn't actually do much with it and when they did shoot you know wayward shots over the bar and you know I I would probably look back at it with different eyes now and think well albeit it's easy to do once you've won but if I looked at it again I think I'd be almost wondering why I was worrying so much because yeah you're right for the possession they had they didn't make the most of it but even still we should have made it easier by converting more chances, and we'll go on to that. But in terms of the actual chronological moments in the game, well, firstly, I've got to go back to 2.37pm because I was over in Kings Park that afternoon, Jeff, and I did a video which I posted on Twitter and said, this is this is weird, this is eerie. I walked past Dean Court. And I know this sounds a really simple, simplistic thing to say, but it is only the fans that aren't there because everything else seems exactly the same. There seems to be the same amount of stewards, policing, all the barriers were there, yet there's just no fans milling around the stadium. And it's it's so weird and it almost made me feel sad in some ways that we're not there, but obviously um, it is what it is. And I took a video and I put it on the website. And also, as I drove up uh, the road to the mini roundabout at the end of Thistlebarrow Road, I timed it perfectly because the Norwich team coach was coming in and I shit you not there were three Norwich fans in full kit by the roundabout I don't know if they've been traveling down but they had flags and they were waving and they were cheering their lads as it as that coach turned into Thistlebarrow Road I would I would hope that they're local fans that haven't traveled all that way I certainly hope that they wouldn't have made that long journey but um, anyway if they are making that long journey I hope they get back home safely and I hope they think it was worth it but either way um, let's go on to the game itself um, odd decisions by odd people um, Bournemouth I thought started really well um, and we had a number of chances early doors there was a Stacey that I think set up Lerma in his first touch just let him down a bit of a poor first touch but straight after that there was some Really good build-up play from Dan Juma, and I think he spread it out to the left and some good work from Adam Smith and Lerma then enabled Solanke to get a snapshot on goal that 
he's sometimes better in those situations where he doesn't have to think and he smashed it. But sadly, it was straight at cruel, but nice to see him get in a good position again. Yeah, I thought that was really good play. Well, what we what we did today, particularly in the first half, was we got the ball to Dan Juma and then supported him because he is dangerous and creative when he's got the ball and he stands defenders up. He's not bothered about, you know, um, the, the not having the ball at pace into space. You know, you can give the ball to him. He, he will stand defenders up from a standing start. He's confident he can get past them. And that, that is, is really good. And it, he is great. It was great interplay. I thought Solanke was really good knitting the play together with him as well. And yeah, you know, unlucky Tim Krull, good save. I mean, he's a good keeper. And, yeah, you know, that, that was a smart save. I think it was just after that where um, Stacey had a, a really good header. Yeah. Oh. Again, you know, that was uh, that was billing, wasn't it? Just again, Dan Juma holding a lot of players, a lot of defenders up. We create space on the other side, and I thought um, Stacey was really unlucky there. Great save again. So we were creating some decent chances, and yeah, I kind of felt that with the the quality of the chances we were having, that we needed to score, and we did. Yeah, and yeah, well, we'll come on to that. And we had chances even before that as well, as you say, Stacey. And also there was a great little pass from Lewis Cook where Lerma was playing between the lines and he shot. It was a scuffed shot in the end. Smith had uh, Smith cut inside across goal and he ran across the pitch and he got that shot that ended up going over the bar. But that was the Adam Smith of old. But then the moment that we were waiting for. And that was Jefferson Lerma, who who played in Dan Juma, who, who turned on the ball, he let it run. And you just you just knew that he was going to take a shot and fantastic strike. I, I thought that he was just uh, a bit of a one-trick pony who could only cut in from that left-hand side and shoot on his right. But what a finish that was. What a finish. You know, that was... A brilliant turn, one touch on his right, then first time on his left from 20-odd yards. And the great thing that you want from your strikers is to have the confidence to hit the target from a long way out so early when the keeper wasn't set and Krull was not ready for it. Wow, what a finish. Fantastic goal. Yeah, I I was absolutely delighted. Uh, And it it came at a really good time for us because Norwich, they... They didn't have much of the ball, but when they did, they posed few threats. I think there was a chance from Hernandez early in the game, shot from a tight angle after a a brief spell of possession. And they didn't seem to need much of the ball to create some opportunity. So that was why I was a bit concerned in the the second half when they got more of the ball. I thought thought to myself, they're going to make something of this. And I think on towards the end of the first half, Rupp had a shot from distance. It was a, a very good save from Begovic there. Now, in terms of Dan Juma and his goal, cracking strike, ran up to the camera, had that T-shirt on underneath saying, stay strong, Lloyd. And all the conspiracy theorists on Twitter are wondering if that's about Lloyd Kelly or whatever. I'm sure by now, at the time of recording, maybe we know what the truth of that was. But I was worried, like, my goodness, how, how long is Lloyd Kelly out for? Well, me too. And hopefully it is just a, a slight hamstring strain and he will be back in a couple of weeks. But yeah, geez. I, yeah, it, it, that's the sort of T-shirt you wear for, you wear for a cruciate ligament injury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
but Dan Juma, I think, you know, he was the star of the show. And in the second half, him and Solanke combined a couple of times. And there was a, there was a great moment uh, just as the second half started where Solanke, um, a lovely little dink over the top of the defence for Dan Juma, who, who shot really quickly. And I think he almost shot on his wrong foot. He, he shot with his left foot and ideally could have waited for the ball to come across his body and then sweep it with his right. But that went wide of the post. He, he seemed to be... Um, perhaps a bit dizzy with the situation. He was he was on the spin and he'd lost his bearings somewhat. And then moments later, on the left flank, great touch from Dan Juma to bring the ball down. And then he came and he cut in, almost like he did against Blackburn. Low shot, which was saved, showed some confidence. And then Don, Dom Solanke after that, he won the ball, ran the length of the pitch, a low strike towards goal. It was on target. And then later on, mm. one that, uh, that Dom really... We really should have scored where Dan yeah. Juma combined once again. Yeah, poor header from from Dom, and um, I would have liked the confidence and the security of a second goal to really kill him off. Because what what we do, we did it last week when we when we were one 0 up. The three centre halves, I don't have a problem with. But it's the the two uh, wing backs, if you like, Smith and Stacey, just drop too deep. We start playing like a back five. The midfield drop back, and they they went for us much more aggressively. You know, they pressed us much more aggressively, and we, we weren't as quick and accurate with our passing out of defence. We coughed up the ball a load of times, even before getting over halfway. Um, and it invited pressure on, you know, we sat much too deeply in that second half, albeit they didn't create anything, um, but it, was, it wasn't it was comfortable. Yeah, and there was a mad two minutes where Norwich claimed that Max Ahrens went down under Adam Smith challenge, and I must admit at that point my heart was in my mouth, but Willow on commentary said, you know, that's the worst dive I've seen in years, and, you know, even, you know, it, it looked like it probably was soft, so I, I don't even think VAR would have saved them uh, with that one. Um, but then, yeah, they did seem to have moments where, you know, Bournemouth were just soaking up Norwich pressure. We weren't limiting them to long-range shots, but it just underlined the need to make the result more comfortable. And I was looking back at that chance for Solanke and thinking, if only he'd scored that, this would be a lot more comfortable. But in the end, Dom Solanke succumbed to the introduction of Josh King on 65 minutes. And uh, really nice to see him back in the Red Really good. Really good to see Josh back. And where I think he's probably got the edge over Solanke is in that holding up the play being able to run with the ball and take the pressure off the the midfield and the defence. And he did that a number of times. It was great to see him back in a cherry shirt. He may well be on his way, but actually I think he probably needs a bit of a run of games to prove himself and to put himself in the shop window again. And, you know, he put in a, a, a decent shift when he did come on. I think that uh, there was a time when he came after just after he came on where he was set free down the left-hand side and having the benefit of a player that's capable of holding the ball up made a massive difference at a time where we were constantly losing it in the middle of the park. On the free-for-all on YouTube, I said that there was a moment where Lewis Kit, uh, Cook had the ball in midfield and he had space to run into, but, in the, but he just decided to ping a ball over the top to Josh King, which in the end was cut out by the Norwich defenders. And she's like, just keep hold of the ball, run into that space. But when Josh King did get it, I thought 
he was very good at holding it up. He was strong. And there was a sublime bit of play, even towards the very end of the game, where we were basically seeing it out on around 89 or 90 minutes, where Josh King was just, he held on to the ball for a good minute in that left corner yeah. there between the east and north stand. And he was great. He showed tenacity, strength, pace, held yeah, the ball great. up really well, and basically won us the game. Yeah, it was great. I mean, he really takes the pressure off. And, uh, um, he nearly scored as well, you know, that, that uh, interplay he had with Dan Juma where the ball came across and you thought, oh, he's got a chance there, but Krull just got in ahead of him. I yeah, thought I couldn't work out if he pulled out then or not, but either he, way. He, he didn't go 100%, um, but, um, but generally I thought that definitely helped. The substitutions helped. I thought, I thought Billing ran out of gas quite significantly in that second half. And there was one stretch of play where the ball was in play for about 10 minutes and Gosling was trying to come on to replace him. And he, he just just didn't have the the energy that he'd had in the first half. And, I, I th- yeah, I think I think what we need to work on against teams that... that what Norwich did, they, they also they brought on some bigger players. They went much more direct against us. And we're going to get a lot of that in the Championship. Um, we just need to make sure that when we're ahead... We actually keep hold of the ball better. We actually dominate teams still, even if we're a goal up, not, not conceding possession because some of the percentage statistics on how much of the ball we actually had in that game, I mean, what was it? It was, it was just over 25%, wasn't it? And, you know, that is, that is risky. That is risky to play football like that and try and win 1-0. But we held on and very pleased that we did. And it's it's a confidence boost that we needed, wasn't it? And what's quite good about it, like I've said previous times, is that the performance still, there's work to do. It wasn't the complete performance by any stretch of the imagination. But at least we're getting results when we do play poorly. We did against Middlesbrough. And now I'm starting to see that. We played all right against Norwich. I thought there were flashes of brilliance. But this time we got three points. And that should give JT a lot of encouragement. Lot of encouragement. Uh, seven points from three games. I think we're fourth, which is, you know, terrific, unbeaten, looking much more, um, much more solid at the back. I think the system the players are getting used to it, it worked better, definitely in that first half. Uh, bring on Coventry. So, with that match out of the way, our next game is away at Coventry City, newly promoted from League One and tipped by many to do all right this season. Now, this match is live on Sky. It's on uh, February the 2nd of October. It's a 7.45 kickoff, and all season ticket holders, you'll be emailed a code that you can redeem on the AFCB TV live website. And when you type it in, you'll be able to watch the stream. If you're not, you'll have to pay the £10. That's that's part of your Brucey bonus for being an STH. So, how's that one going to go? Let's get Jeff back. Come on, come on, Sky Blue Army. Come on, come on, Sky Blue Army. Come on, come on, Sky Blue Army. Jeff, Coventry City, it is a match on Sky on Friday night. We thought the Norwich one was going to be on Sky. It wasn't. In the end, we had to put up with Chris Temple and Willow. But to be fair, I always enjoy their energetic uh, commentary. But yeah, we're going to be watching on Sky on Friday night and travelling up full of confidence and hopefully bringing back home three points. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think we should be full of confidence. You know, we're unbeaten in the three games that we've played in the championship. Uh, we put in really good performances against Palace and Manchester City. And, um, yeah, you know, certainly nothing to be afraid of. Coventry have, um, have done reasonably well. You know, they've won one, drawn one, lost one. Uh, the game they lost was to Bristol City, who have won all three and look like they'll be one of the top sides in the division already. Um, and the team they beat was QPR, who um, who are not a bad side in this division. So, yeah, don't know too much about them, but um, yeah, I think they'll be they'll be a challenge. That's for sure. I think uh, you know this is the type of preview where I need to chat to uh, the Twitter user Sky Blue Cherries, uh, who who knows a lot about Cov and AFC Bournemouth, and of course one of our links is Callum Wilson. But of course he's he's off at Newcastle now, scoring last minute penalties for them. Uh, of course, as we saw on the Sunday, but. JT, he's got some good headaches in terms of the fact that we can do 3-4-3, we can play this five across the midfield should we need to, and also potentially the return of players like Brooks pending the positive, uh, sorry, negative COVID test. We're all hoping it's negative, um, but a positive result from it in terms of the fact of it being good. And Josh King being fit, being fitter, and maybe Junior Stanislas too. Um there's options for him, isn't there? I think it's going to be interesting what he does with that starting lineup. Will he uh, swap out Dom Solanke for Josh King, for example? Maybe give uh, a starting berth to Josh for a change. Um, that could be a way to go. Or um, maybe um, maybe Junior will be fit. And maybe he'll get a starting place. I mean, I quite liked those three central midfielders playing yeah. uh, against Norwich, and it looked pretty solid and good. If you're if you're um, if you're playing Lewis Cook in that kind of shielding role, um, so maybe you'll go with the same formation, the same lineup. It's going to be an interesting one for him. Yeah, and at this early stage, can I ask you for a prediction on how you think it's going to go on the Friday night, results-wise? Yeah, I think we're going to win 1-0. There you go. I, you know what? I saw the glint in your eye then. I thought you said I thought you were going to say we're going to smash them 3-0 or something. But <laughs> you just gone for a 1-0. Yeah, um, I'm going to go for a 3-0. Wow. 3-0 wow. Friday night. And it's those matches where it's important that your weekend starts off right. <laughs> and because we we all know that if we lose, the weekend is going to be hellish. Now, the last time that um, we played on a Friday night or on a match that I can remember was Saints. And that was a that was a brilliant 3-1 win. And it set up the whole weekend. And at that, heart, at that time, we were riding high in the Premier League. So I'm going to go 3-0. I'm feeling positive. Hopefully, all things are going to point towards a Cherries win. Who knows? Uh, Jeff Hayward, thanks very much for your input. Thanks for having me on, Sam. So there we go. Coventry City versus AFC Bournemouth. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a very interesting game as well. <laughs> OK.
Okay, so that just about wraps up another show on Back of the Net. Of course, at the start of the programme, it was Do You Remember? And we asked you the five Premier League goal scorers for AFC Bournemouth against Manchester City. Now, I haven't got these in front of me and off the top of my head. So, Glenn Murray, that was in a 5-1, a bit of a consolation. Um, Callum Wilson, a header in a 3-1 defeat at the Etihad Um, Charlie Daniels of course what a goal that was Screamer David Brooks of course in our last Premier League fixture and Harry Wilson's free kick there we go I actually managed it myself I'm quite proud of myself for that yeah so those were the answers if you got that congratulations you are as good as I am (laughs) honestly I never get these myself and I write the questions Um, thank you for listening Really appreciate it. Uh, next week, so yeah, Coventry City, as we discussed. We're going to be releasing the pause on the Monday, same as usual, and then we're taking a well-earned break. It's the international break, and then after that, I think we've got QPR at home on the Saturday, so yeah, it should be an interesting one. Right, anyway, have a good week, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel, because there'll be more content coming out throughout the week, including... A shirt unboxing of our third kit as well. Looking forward to getting hold of that. Uh, it should be arriving soon. I paid for it to be delivered straight away. And loads of other people seem to be getting their shirts, but not me. So come on, hurry up. Right. Anyway, you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Now Lerma with Billing in space to his left. Oh, what a turn from Dan Juma, edge of the era. Can he finish Dan Juma? Yeah. Oh, yes, he can. Individual brilliance again from A majestic turn, a fly with his left foot, and with 10 minutes to go until half-time, Bournemouth have edged in front against Norwich City, 1-0. Podcast Network.